Welcome to IFL Science The Big Questions, the podcast where we invite the experts to explore the biggest mysteries of science with your host, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. Glaciers are disappearing around the planet, and the questions of how scientists monitor glaciers and how these glaciers affect global sea level rise are very important for the future. We sat down to talk with Dr. Peter Davis from the British Antarctic Survey to discuss these questions and about his research on the topic of the Thwaites Glacier in Antarctica. Wonderful, thank you very much for joining us. Can you please uh, introduce yourself uh, and uh, tell us uh, what you work on? Yeah, so no, thanks so much for having me on. So I'm Peter Davis. I'm a physical oceanographer here at the British Antarctic Survey. And I specialize in understanding how oceans and ice shelves interact and how the ocean is driving uh, ice shelf melting. Fascinating. So can we start by talking about how do you monitor the changes in ice shelves uh, and glaciers? Uh, sure. So there's, a, there's kind of two or three different ways, really. I, I guess the first um, and the most indirect way is through satellite observations. So I guess whizzing around the planet um, way up in space, there's lots of satellites that we use to um, observe the ice shelves. We can look at their thickness. We can look at just kind of simple imagery of them and see how they're, they're responding in time. And then in sort of the stuff I do, which is kind of the, the in-situ observation, so kind of the deep field work. So we go to the ice shelves and the glaciers and we either observe them from the surface. So we take kind of observations of kind of snowfall and of weather. Um, we use seismics, so kind of using sound essentially to understand kind of the makeup and how thick they are. And then in particular, what I do is we understand and observe the ocean underneath. So we use techniques uh, known as hot water drilling to drill through the ice shelf. Um, we deploy instruments in the ocean cavities underneath the floating ice shelves. Um, and we use that to monitor how the ocean's changing, how it's circulating, its temperature, its salinity, um, and how the ice shelf is melting from beneath. And we use all that information to kind of build a picture of how the ice shelves and glaciers are evolving over time. And why is it important to understand uh, the, how the uh, glacier or the ice shelf is melting from uh, beneath? So what uh, can we gain uh, an insight from uh, there that we cannot uh, maybe get from uh, satellite uh, uh, observations. Sure. So essentially the, the key idea is that glaciers kind of flowing off the continent of Antarctica, these kind of massive rivers of ice, they're very slow moving, but they drift towards the ocean. And when that kind of ice that's on the ground gets into the ocean, it causes sea levels to rise. Now, ice shelves, which are kind of the floating extension of these glaciers, they act as a cork, essentially, that hold back the ice that's on the land. So they kind of prevent ice from getting into the ocean, and they kind of control sea level rise. Now, the problem is when you melt an ice shelf from beneath, uh, it basically weakens its ability to hold the ice back on the land, and it allows kind of the sea level rise to, to occur more quickly. Now, when we observe um, an ice shelf or a glacier from the surface, what we essentially are looking at is how the surface is changing. Um, it's basically changing its height. But that integrates a lot of different processes of which melt is just one part. Um, so we have to make a lot of assumptions about the other processes in order to determine how much it's melting. So it's a much better, although certainly harder and more kind of logistically uh, intense operation to go to the ice shelf and observe its melt rate directly, um, either using radars that we can deploy on the surface or drilling through and essentially putting instruments looking up at it from beneath to measure the melt rate directly. Thank you very much. What are the changes that we're seeing in Antarctica that are affecting uh, global sea level rise? 
So really, the, the changes that we're seeing is that we're seeing that warm water that is offshore of the Antarctic continent is being forced onto the continent, I'm sorry, onto the continental shelves and underneath the ice shelves more rapidly. So when ice shelves are in balance, the amount of ice or grounded ice that crosses over the grounding line, that's the point where the ice shelf first starts floating, matches the amount of ice that's lost through melting and lost through carving of icebergs. The problem we're seeing is that we're getting more warm water that's coming onto the shelves. It's driving more melting from beneath and it's knocking these, these ice shelves out of balance or these glaciers out of balance. And that out of balance means that we're getting more ice from the land into the ocean causing sea levels to rise. Are there specific areas in Antarctica that are more affected uh, than others? Yeah, so West Antarctica. So I should start by saying actually, so Antarctica is generally split into two kind of broad areas, East Antarctica and West Antarctica. East Antarctica is much larger, um, but West Antarctica is the area that we're most concerned about. Mm -hmm. um, and this is because the warm water that's driving the ice shelf melting gets much closer to the continental shelf in West Antarctica than it does in East Antarctica. So in West Antarctica, it's getting up onto the shelves quite readily, it's getting under the ice shelves and it's driving melting. In contrast, in East Antarctica, for a variety of different reasons, there's a lot of cold water on these continental shelves that essentially protects the ice shelves from the warm water that's flowing around the continent. And currently our kind of best observations would show that that warm water isn't readily accessing the East Antarctic ice shelves. Whether that continues into the future is an open question, um, but currently, yeah, West Antarctica is the area of most concern. How much uh, have things changed uh, in uh, West Antarctica over the last uh, certain period of time? I don't know how long it's been uh, observed uh, and documented. Uh. Yeah, so, so certainly, so in terms of um, kind of big obvious changes, you know, we've seen kind of the Antarctic Peninsula, which is kind of the boundary, I suppose, between East and West. We've seen kind of a number of ice shelves collapse entirely. Um, Larsen A ice shelf has gone, Larsen B ice shelf has gone. Essentially, they're kind of collapsing, kind of going from the north to the south as, as atmospheric temperatures warm. And then kind of further around in the Amundsen Sea sector, where we're seeing this kind of warm water melting feedback. Um, we've seen grounding lines retreat very rapidly, kind of, you know, two kilometers, three, two kilometers a year. Um, we've seen um, big carving events from the front of these, uh, these glaciers. Um, ice fronts have retreated inland. So noticeable and significant changes. And over what time period have we seen uh, these changes? That's a good question. It's <laughs> probably easier if I just say over the last kind of okay. 10, 20 years. It's, yep. I, think, I think the problem is a lot of, we see individual events and then kind of attribution is actually yep. quite a difficult. Um, but certainly it's been a slowly evolving process, probably kind of triggered around the kind of 1970s or kind of 1980s when we first began to kind of sense that this warm water was coming onto the shelf, we've kind of seen these kind of successive events and kind of excessive kind of record retreats. But I don't think you can really point to one particular period of time where kind of something changed and happened. It's a, it's a very kind of ongoing process. And really what complicates a lot of this is, is we know the region also has a lot of long, natural long-term cycles, kind of cycles that maybe take 10 years to kind of to go from one state to the next and then back to the original state. So when we've only been observing for 20 years and not much in situ, when you've got this kind of natural cycle going on, it takes, it, it's, a, it's quite difficult to pick out from the observations exactly what started when. Of course, we have the models as well that give us the much bigger picture that tell us 
why it's changing and how it's going to change, but kind of picking out those, the attribution of those changes is more difficult. Uh, I understand. Uh, so are you using the model to try and work out uh, what are the changes that just happen naturally to the Antarctic continent and the glaciers in West Antarctica and those that might be attributable to anthropogenic climate warming. Yes, no, definitely. So there's, a, there's colleagues here working at VAS, they, they're working on that exact sort of question. So um, the great thing about computer models is you can run many, many, many different simulations with many, many, many different kind of it, both initial conditions and the way that we force the model. So some of the things that they do is they run the models his, using historical climate forcing without kind of greenhouse gas emissions mm -hmm. many, many, many times. And that tells us something about kind of the natural variability in the system that we see. And the, the benefit of that is what we see in the real world is kind of only one instance of all possible cycles. It's, it's a chaotic system. And then they can redo all the simulations with greenhouse gas forcing and can begin to look at the differences between all the different simulations but because they haven't just done it once and they've done it hundreds of times, they can begin to pick out what's natural and what's, what's not natural and start attributing change to kind of greenhouse gas emissions and what's change to natural kind of variation and natural forcing. Wonderful. Um, you work specifically on uh, uh, Twaze uh, Glacier. Yep. What kind of changes have you seen uh, there in the last uh, decade or so? So yeah, so it's, it's, it's essentially kind of split into two separate kind of dynamic regions, really. We have the Thwaites main trunk and we have the Thwaites eastern ice shelf. Um, what we've seen is the kind of the main trunk has disintegrated quite rapidly into kind of, kind of more of a loose melange of these big blocks of ice, um, whereas the eastern ice shelf has kind of retained more of an ice shelf structure. Um, it has kind of a more classical floating uh, tongue that's, that's out um, over the ocean. Um, but what we're seeing now on the eastern ice shelf is even that now is beginning to break up. We're seeing big rifts um, and kind of cracks in the ice spread across the ice shelf surface and kind of all the evidence is pointing to a collapse of that ice shelf as well in the next kind of 10, 15, 20 years. Do you know why there is difference between those uh, two parts? Uh, is it clear that one is more exposed to either more water or...? I think the, the answer is really to do with the, the seabed topography. Okay. Um, so the ice shelves, once they float off the continent, can come into contact with what is known as pinning points. So this is where you get shallow seabed topography that kind of intersects with the ice base and it kind of creates a place for the ice to grip onto. Now, in front of the eastern ice shelf, there remains still a pinning point. The ice shelf is still thick enough that it can hold onto that seabed and it can kind of retain its shape. Whereas on the, on, the, on the main trunk, there's no longer a pinning point. So essentially the ice, the, what was the ice shelf has become unconstrained and it's just kind of flown out into these big blocks. If the collapse of uh, this glacier happened uh, in the next 15, uh, 20 years, uh, what kind of, uh, what are we um, looking at in terms of uh, uh, short-term and longer-term consequences for both Antarctica, uh, the glacier in West Antarctica, and uh, global sea level. Sure, so I should, should make sure to clarify that we're talking about the collapse of the ice shelf the in 15 shelf. to 20 yeah. years. This is the, the floating bit. The a collapse of the glacier, or the glacier, the grounded bit, whilst possible, certainly it's not something we're expecting to happen okay. within 100, 200, 300 years. It's a kind of multi-century to millennial timescale. Okay. However, 
if we saw the ice shelf collapse, what we would immediately see is a greater flux of ice from the ground into the ocean. That would immediately cause the rate of sea level rise to increase. If in the worst case scenario that triggered some sort of unstable collapse of, of, of the glacier that played itself out over many centuries, the sea level rise could be on the order of feet. As is, is the, is the, is the glacier, the grounded part, continues to flow into the ocean, there are suggestions that uh, if you lose the, the Thwaites Glacier, that may destabilize wider parts of West Antarctica. The, the, the whole kind of Amundsen Sea embayment may become unstable. And then, yeah, then you're looking at kind of cat really catastrophic rates of sea level rise. But to, to stress again, this is not a decade process. This is kind of centuries to, okay. to thousands of years. Uh, so with, uh, uh, in the short term, with uh, the the breaking of uh, the um, uh, the ice shelf, uh, yeah. uh, we just would expect uh, more ice from the continent uh, to flow into the ocean. Exactly. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking the time and uh, talking to us about uh, glaciers in Antarctica. No, thanks very much for having the opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Big Questions. Head over to iflscience.com for the latest and greatest science headlines. The music in this episode is credited to audioblocks.com. See you next time.